Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Well, I've had a very busy... Uh, well, I've been gone for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, a whole lot has happened. Okay. Including the Los Angeles Film Festival, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. But also I spent three days on Catalina. Nice. Uh, for a wedding. Um, speaking of weddings, there's a lot of people in California who can get married now. And a lot of people world, uh, you know, nationwide who have... Uh, right. I had no idea what you were talking about from I was like what the hell are you talking about that's a really broad oh I got it uh, you know that's it's a that's a big deal and that um, the 26th the day that Doma and Prop 8 were both essentially uh, struck down was the day of the wedding I was at so it was very emotional uh, hmm. uh, uh, for, for I'll, I'll say most of the people involved <laughs> um, but uh uh, also, yesterday, I don't want to spend... It's it's July 5th, the day that we're recording this. Um, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it, but um, some people might have seen on the news that there was a fireworks mishap. A lot of people were injured in Simi Valley, oh, I where, I, where I was to see fireworks. Uh, I'm fine. It was a little weird. Uh, I wasn't close enough for it to be scary. It was more just confusing. Oh, I didn't hear about that. What, what had happened? Um, a bunch of fireworks went off on the ground level. Ooh. Shoot up, and so... You know, they shot into the crowd, and so spectators in the first couple sort of rows of blankets were were injured. A lot, a lot of people were. It doesn't sound like anyone was killed, from what we know at this point, but uh, it was uh, it was very odd because I guess like I guess they're you know pre-programmed to an extent. So like after a huge number of the fireworks went off on the ground, mm-hmm. the show kept going for like a minute, like a full minute of like fireworks in the air yeah so like it was a scary like loud explosion like obviously on the ground fireworks is not supposed to happen uh and i was trepidatious but then the show kept going so it was like just as i was like relaxing being like okay i guess it was a little thing but nothing's off then it stopped and then the lights came on and they made us leave the park oh wow but uh wow that's unfortunate yeah i'm glad to be unharmed i'm glad that um it doesn't seem like anyone uh, will have uh you know I guess no one died. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I was going to say like long-lasting injuries, but I don't know. People could have yeah. Lost someone can have gotten or burned or yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, yeah, we don't really know uh, all the details yet. But um, that was the very eventful uh, past couple weeks for me. Um, but I mentioned Fourth of July. Yeah, culminating in the Fourth of July. Yes. Independence I, Day. I like to call it. I, I mentioned that for a reason, uh, and I also mention um, Doma and Prop Eight for a reason. Um, because I am all for celebrating, you know, what happened with the, with the Supreme Court and, and all for discussing what happened with the Voting Rights Act, because I think that's a very interesting conversation. Um, what's not an interesting conversation is coming not from the, uh, people on the wrong side of history who are against uh, uh, real quick, no offense, I hate that term with a uh, with a really? fiery passion. Really? Because you might be on the wrong side of history in a way that you aren't even aware of. But I think shows on that, this sh- one, it's pretty clear. That's all well and good, except uh, except there's other things. You know, just in 50 years, your grandchildren, if you choose to have them, that didn't mean to make it sound like Mission Impossible, uh-huh. but uh, they might be horrendously embarrassed about some view that you hold now that is... T- it, a total I, blind spot. I, I don't think that I'm... By using the term wrong side of history, I don't think I'm saying that I'm on the right side of history on 100% of things. Most people... I fully... Want- I, 
uh, and I think this is part of the conversation, actually. That, okay. Because what I'm what I wanted to get to, which I haven't actually got to the meat of it yet, is about sort of smug elitism. Right. Because what I was going to say is most time, most of the times when I hear that phrase, mm-hmm. it it is almost always accompanied with a certain tone of voice. And by the way, I've you know, I, I'm, I would say I'm pretty much on your side as well. I voted right. against Prop Eight and yeah. all, all that sort of thing. Um, but. Uh, but it, so I guess I would say technically I'm on the right side of history, but I hate saying that because it, because when I hear it from people, they almost always say it as though they're right about this is just one more thing they're right about. Yeah, I don't mean it like that. Okay, I'll say for instance, I wouldn't be surprised if fifty or a hundred years from now, um, the way and the extent to which I eat animals is considered. Hmm. Uh, uh, barbaric and antiquated and unfathomable. Well, the way you eat animals is right. is kind of barbaric. Yeah, I see um, you looking at my cat. <laughs> uh, well, you know the, the the blood is best when it's fresh, <laughs> when it when it when it's when it's hot. Um, is that from Ravenous? It seems uh, like that would be from Ravenous. No, probably yeah. Uh, so the the thing the thing that piss, is pissing me off is not from people who are um you know like Michelle Bachman or whatever who are you know uh, coming out uh and decrying the supreme court thing uh the thing that's pissing me off lately and it happened last year around this time too is mostly from liberals um i i guess uh mostly younger liberals who think they're funny um which is way more liberals than there are i think because like things like the Daily Show and Colbert Report tend to appeal to liberals, I think liberals get the impression that they're the funny half of the equation. But they, they are like, it's not. That's not the case. Uh, you, liberals are just as unfunny about certain things as conservatives are. Very much unfunny so. about certain things. Yeah. Um, and this, you know, what I hate as a comedy fan What's is that? this idea that conservatives aren't funny. Uh, now, obviously, Dennis Miller isn't funny anymore. I know. Um, but I think if you look at people like um, uh, Doug Stanhope or, or or Bill Burr or or Jim Norton, you know, these guys who are very yeah. libertarian. Or, uh, oh, shoot. Nick's, Nick... Uh, Nick DiPaolo. Nick DiPaolo, thank you. Yeah, yes. you get the, A lot of New York guys. Yeah, there's, there's this whole strain of... of um, Guys who would consider them so who'd be on the conservative side of the equation who are hilarious. if they if they didn't hate Republicans so much as well I'm sure yeah. they would consider themselves that yes um, yeah but I think I don't mean I mean I think Nick DiPaolo was a Bush supporter uh, I think my, so yeah uh, understanding yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway I, I still haven't gotten to the thing that's pissing me yeah, off yeah sorry go on which is hashtags or or references on you know Instagram or, and I, you know what you know why I haven't said it yet because I hate saying it. It is frustrating, yes. But there's this thing where someone will spell the word America, but without the A, and sometimes changing the E to to a U. Yeah. And they're so essentially, they're trying to... So it's literally, literally America. Yeah. They're, and they're trying to, I guess, um, approximate a southern accent, I guess? Something like that, yeah. A um, lazy drawl. Yeah. And so the, the implication behind this is always that... Um, uh, I, I guess that uh, it, it, it's either lampooning a certain brand of pa- patriotism mm-hmm. or um, equating a pa- patriotism with a lack of intelligence, 
which is also equating southernness with a lack of intelligence, which right. is also not something I uh, support. I, if I, I, I will admit that if I am going to go into the voice of a dumb guy, it will almost always wind up southern, and I apologize. <laughs> but you, uh, you lived in Nixon, Missouri, with a lot of dumb people who talk like that. Fair enough. <laughs> there were more Confederate um, flags than I was comfortable seeing. Um, but uh, it, I just. I guess at a time like this, this is maybe why it bothers me more this year than last year because at a time right after there's been um, a, a victory for open-mindedness and uh, and and for I guess progressive ways of thinking or tolerance for uh, an acceptance of different people that we also have this strain of fucking elitist young just I don't know bougie. Uh, <laughs> is, asshole. That, is that a mixture of bourgeois and douchey? <laughs> it's just a shortening of bourgeois. Okay. Um, bohemian. I don't know what the fuck they think they are. Uh, to 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 lampoon this whole swath of America and to to lump them all in as being wrong for for their patriotism or for their way of American life. Uh, goes against the whole, like, the side of history we're trying to be on. Well, and that's the thing is, uh, so undoubtedly, I, 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 I try to embrace a certain degree of nuance in any of my politics or beliefs, and, uh, and there, there are things that will bother me, uh, to be sure, but, um, but I try to stay, keep things in perspective, and though I may be politically, you know, leaning one way, Doing that doesn't imply that that way is always right or that the representatives of that way are always right. And that can include me sometimes. So I try to recognize that, okay, well, maybe I'm not doing things right all the time as well. But as both a conservative and a Christian, I'm very familiar with the idea of somebody saying something, somebody that I ostensibly agree with, saying something that makes me think I have to work harder now to undo what you've done. (laughs) And in that same way, there's a joke that I've made on the show before uh, quote unquote, at your expense. Not really. I'm more uh-huh. lampooning a certain idea of a conservative, which imply in which I accuse you of hating the country because you're liberal. Right. That's a joke I'm making. But people like that, when they lampoon, even the because that's the thing. It's one thing if you will, if you joke a certain. We keep saying lampoon. Sorry. Um, in which you, you're joking about a certain type of patriotism. But how about you mix maybe a little bit of real patriotism in there with it? No, it's only ever the joke. Okay. Yeah. This is why people think that you hate america you know this is and i'm sure you who i consider to be uh, david who i consider to be something of a patriot uh you know i'm sure you're consider myself to be that too yeah well you know why you're from flyover country that's why you're a patriot (laughs) you know oh yeah well that's a that's a whole other conversation yeah no i guess that is part of this conversation um but uh but yeah and so it just it bothered it, it bothered me a lot to the point where i took to twitter and and uh went into a little persona that i enjoyed with the hashtag i'm better than you <laughs> and uh it was fun for a while and then i started getting really depressed um yeah i i guess i just think that people um uh, it, it's funny i that how i mentioned that right side wrong side of history thing and and how much your opinion on that dovetails with my opinion on this mm. is just Stop being so fucking sure that you're right and stop being so fucking sure that other people are wrong because they disagree with you. Yeah. And uh, no one... You never know what tomorrow may bring. Um, yeah. 
and no one just because they have a southern accent or because they own a gun or because they go to church means that uh they're somehow behind you or that they can be written off uh you're doing more harm than good when you do things like that well you certainly don't want to behind you with that gun i'll tell you that. <laughs> that's right <laughs> so um yeah it's it's uh, it's a very frustrating thing and it's just and i apologize to i i feel like you're probably cut more slack and complaining about this than i am because people know that i because i tr- i tend I, I really try on the show not to blather on about liberals because i don't want to sound like freaking glenn beck or something like that but it is something that i've you know i'm friends with with a lot of people on facebook and twitter that uh that pol- believe different political things than i do and that's fine and and i did notice that a, a good no- a good number of the uh I wouldn't say anti. It's, these things are not anti-America, but it's literally just like, are you literally just going to shit on the idea of liking this country? Because you can like the country and not think it's perfect. I love my wife. I don't think she's perfect. Yeah. You know, it's just. But to you, her flaws should make should make me just. I don't know. I should not profess my love for my wife because of of fights we've had in the past or something like that. What kind of Ugh. Right. And, or and because, as, like, of her drone program. Right, exactly. Phone tapping. All exactly. these things that your wife does that we just can't get behind. Absolutely. <laughs> you know. That it, if we get a divorce, it'll be an inside job. I'll say that right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that's, that's yeah. good. Um, we have some sponsors who I'm sure we're very happy about that conversation. Um, you know what? Here's the thing. In theory... They've heard the show before. They know what to expect, and they love that. Yeah, uh, right. Oh, hopefully. Well, let's let me tell you um, about Connor Connolly. Uh, Connor Connolly is a hitman who is about to have a bad night in issue one of Hit, the debut comic from Gentleman Baby Comics. Connor, a Boston mobster, is dispatched to Arkansas to kill two people. That's Murica country to kill two people in a suburban neighborhood. But when he arrives, he discovers the targets aren't what they seem. Hit was funded via Kickstarter earlier this year and is now available to buy. You can go to www.gentlemanbabycomics.com and buy a physical copy of Issue 1 for $5 or a digital copy for just $3. For more info, um, for more info, comment, there should be a comment here, like Gentleman Baby Comics on Facebook. You are to those W's what I am to that exclamation point. Uh, <laughs> I think I hit the exclamation point too. Yeah, but I really try to try to hit it. And you you and you you're not going to say www. You'll say www. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy it quite a bit. So, yeah. Well, Arkansas, beautiful part of the country. I don't know if you've humid as hell. I hate it. Really? Is it humid? Yeah. I guess it's not is it any is it more humid than Nixon, Missouri? Probably. Huh. The further south you go, the more uh humid it's going to get. I've never been any further south than Little Rock, but mm. the the drive from Springfield, Missouri to Little Rock, Arkansas yeah. is beautiful. Stay in an air-conditioned car and <laughs> yeah. check out that view. They, they, don't, they don't call it the natural state for nothing. There's a lot the, of nature there. Don't they call it? That's what it says on the license plates. All right. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I did have the thought just now of uh, looking at when you, when you felt the need to mention that Arkansas is America country. Uh-huh. Part of me is like... Oh, that not that Hitman from Boston? Because Lord knows they don't talk weird there. <laughs> you know, no offense to people from Boston. Every accent's kind of weird if you look at it the right way. Yeah. So, anyway. 
Uh, moving on. All right. So we do have another sponsor, but just for a short time. So I, I need you guys to. <laughs> we got to get this copy yeah, we, read, read yeah. before, before their, their yeah, time expires. He's staring right at me. Um, but yeah. Okay. So uh, the ad has been on the website. So some of you may have uh, been wondering what it is. Uh, and if you if you've been wondering, you can just click on it and you'll, you'll be fine. Um, all right. So, yeah. Yeah. It's well, not like why the just... box in Hellraiser. You can just, <laughs> <laughs> you can just click on it. So, okay. So, the uh, our new sponsor is The Suspect. Now, David, every uh, pretty much like every uh, film project that does a Kickstarter thing, uh, they're always looking for funds to finish their production. The Suspect is done. The film is finished. Yeah. All right? And it features... And done it's, like dinner. What was that? Stick a fork in it. It's done. Yeah. Well, now that sounds like people shouldn't... Give money because it's no, well, done. You, that, this is what the next part is. About. All right, stay tuned. Yeah, so the, the production itself is done, uh, and it's and you know it's it's actually quite interesting. Um, it has David. I I have no. Uh, I don't know how to say this. It's a real movie, <laughs> by which I mean it has real actors in it. You mean noted you've heard of? Yes. Sorry. There's plenty of real movies that have no one you've heard of. Name one. And there's also plenty of. Movies that shouldn't be real that have fair enough. Yeah, have you seen these billboards for R.I.P.D.? <laughs> That's I, a real movie. I haven't seen I, a trailer I, I, for I, it. By but... the way, I'm um, I'm springboarding off uh, our friend Rudy Obias, who joked on Instagram oh, that okay. he couldn't believe that that's a real movie. Uh, but yeah, that since he like since Rudy said that, I look at those because there's a billboard that I can see from my when I step out to have a cigarette at night. I mm-hmm. can see it from my apartment, and I just think, yeah, that's. That's a red's real. People are going to go see that. I might see it if the reviews are good. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, if the reviews are like, good, that's, how that's is that a, concept a any worse than a lot of the other concepts that we've seen in film? You want a concept, David? I've got one for you. In the heat of the night meets the twilight zone. That sounds like a weird concept. And yet, tonally, that's what the suspect is all about. I like that concept. And uh, in watching the trailer, it struck me as, uh, as as kind of interesting. It features Mackay Pfeiffer, who is in like Dawn him. of the Dead, and Eight, uh, Mile. and Eight Mile. It features uh, William Sadler from Shawshank Redemption. And Kinsey. And Kinsey. And uh, Iron Man 3, he's in that. He was in Rocket Man. Hmm. So he's just he's an actor that I actually like quite a bit. And he's one of those, you know, hey, it's that guy kind yeah. of actors. Um, but anyway, so uh, so the film is finished. But they are, and they've been doing some some kind of low level film festival stuff. But they are looking for further funds for uh, distribution costs and to pay for industry uh, screenings and that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, just uh, go to to visit the Kickstarter. You can search for the suspect, or you can click on the aforementioned skyscra- skyscraper ad mm-hmm. at battleshipretention dot com, and that'll take you right to it. Uh, they, I think it, as of as of recording, they really only have I think a week and a half left. So, if you are interested in giving money, now is the time yeah, to do it. Don't don't hesitate. But David, shut up and listen to this. Okay. All right. As a bonus for BP listeners, with any and every pledge you guys make of five dollars or more, you'll get you'll receive a PDF of the screenplay. Oh, pretty that's exciting. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and. Let's see. Let me, I want to make sure I got this right. Don't you want to read the script that landed a first-time director, actors from Shawshank Redemption, Eight Mile, and Max Payne? Sure you do. Wait, who's from Max Payne? I don't know. I didn't see it. Neither did I. Of course not. Uh, which would you rather see, Max Payne or R.I.P.D.? Oh, R.I.P.D. Really? 
<laughs> I'm just, I hate to say it, but like Jeff Bridges is a bit of a draw for me, right. and he can make something. His part of the film will be good, I guarantee. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. And right. I like that Ryan Reynolds. I have liked him in the past. Yeah, let me hang on. I see the potential of Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, so simply message the producers through Kickstarter after you make your pledge and let let them know that you heard about the campaign from Battleship Pretension, and they'll add the script to your reward. Uh, so the campaign, like I said, it ends soon. So check it out. The suspect at Kickstarter, or click on the banner ad, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I really hope they they make it um, because yeah. it looks like a lot of uh, a lot of effort has gone into making uh, kind of an interesting looking movie. Yeah, as much as like as much as Robert Altman's The Player made fun of that blank meets blank like uh, yeah. pitch line in the heat of the night meets Twilight Zone sounds really cool. Yeah, because. And and I've watched the trailer, and it certainly looks like it deals with some racial issues. But how are you going to, you know, we, I, I don't know if there's anything the supernatural, Zone, but like I think plenty of Twilight Zone episodes dealt with racial issues. It was a pretty socially they, con- conscious show. I think they did, but at the same time, this is it takes place in like a small southern town in our reality, and, and now times. In now times, yeah, yeah. What's that from? That's recent. That was you said that, right? I said in yeah. our LA Film Fest preview episode. Okay, yeah. So it's from now times, but yeah. So check that out, everybody, and uh, let's move on. Okay, so um, oh, and also tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. You get uh, great earbuds there uh, for a discount and no shit, no shit, no shipping. No, so, no, no. I started there. No, no, no. There will be shipping. You'll get these earbuds, <laughs> but it will you be have free. To pay for the shipping. Yeah, it's free. Thank you for clarifying. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> yeah, you got to go pick them up. Um, all right. So uh, we're going to do a LA Film Fest uh, sort of wrap up here. And I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to make Because I've been doing... I did three uh, solo mini podcast episodes right. based on what I saw. So I'm trying to figure out how I should make this different, but I also, like, your input will make it different. Right, and I didn't listen to those, so, so this okay. is all new to me. Um, so I think I'm just going to go sort of chronologically through the through the film fest. And by the way, there's the third written, like, the third batch of reviews will be up sometime soon. Yeah. I mentioned the very busy, at the top of the show, how busy I've been the past couple weeks. I've got Comic-Con coming up, so I'm going to try and get that out before Comic-Con, obviously. Um but uh, let's mention that right now, actually, while we're oh at yeah, it. we'll be at Comic Con in uh, Thursday night at eight o'clock. Uh, sorry, is that right? Thursday night, eight o'clock, eight July eighteenth, eight to ten. Yeah. Yes, Thursday, July eighteenth, eight p.m. to ten p.m. at Dublin Square, which is on Fourth Fourth mm-hmm. Street, Fourth Avenue. I always forget. I don't recall. Um, uh, we're going to be having a meetup. Uh, it's us. It's it's Criterion Cast, and it's the Warner Ar- Warner Archive. Uh, we're all banding together as we did last year. It was a rousing mm-hmm. success last year. We love the Dublin Square uh, yeah. location there. <clears throat> so come by and uh, have a drink on us between eight and ten, and say hi to to me and Tyler, Ryan from Criterion Cast, and at least Matt from Warner Archive. Right. But I imagine uh, yeah. last year there were there. I, I think there it was him. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, are you tired of us talking politics on the show? Tell us to our face. Come to the yeah, come I'd love to the that. meetup. Um, Get on the right side of history and come to that meetup. Yeah, that's right. All right, so um, but this will be a way, so this episode today will be a way to sort of follow through on some of the stuff I said it was I was excited about mm. um, 
last time we did this. And one of the things I was most excited about was Winter in the Blood, the new film from uh, Alex and Andrew Smith, who had made The Slaughter Rule uh, 11 years ago. And um, Winter in the Blood, uh, it it's no Slaughter Rule, I have to admit, but it uh, it was it is definitely worth seeing and, and mostly lived up to my expectations, except for in the fact that it's not The Slaughter Rule. It sounds like they lost a step in the last... 10 11 years <laughs> but no it's uh it's based on a novel that i uh, was unfamiliar with with which i was unfamiliar about um a native american man in um montana who uh basically the time we meet him he's uh, drunk he's sort of working odd jobs you know agriculturally um his wife has left and his wife has taken uh with her his father's rifle that was mm-hmm. Uh, important to him or as he says and as the character says in the movie it, it meant something to me once um so i love lines like that yeah <laughs> um so the film uh essentially in a, i mean uh, I, I, the, the most basic story is that he walks off the reservation and wa- like he's he's off the reservation oh, no question about it uh, and walks into town he doesn't have a car and he's a total drunk so he shouldn't have a car um uh he walks into town to find his wife who's holed up in a hotel or something somewhere and get his gun back. Mm -hmm. That's, I guess the premise, but a lot more happens. And as it tracks that story, it also tells in flashbacks, um, his childhood with his, uh, older brother and his father, neither of which are in the movie as he's an adult. And, you know, we find out why over the course of the flashbacks. Um, and also he limps as an adult and something else we find out why Mm -hmm. in these flashbacks. Uh, but it is, uh it's it's not um a uh, like i said it has a very bare premise and it, it it's so it's it's not a heavily narrative film it's, it sounds like a russell banks book <laughs> it kind of is like that yeah um although uh, um strangely it's called winter in the blood but um only the flashbacks are in winter the mm-hmm. main story takes place in the dead of summer where mm-hmm. it's very hot um uh, but it's sort of episodic, you know, and that it'll he'll have some sort of little, uh, I guess, adventure. <laughs> it would be a way to put it in town, and then you'll see uh, something from his past, and something else will happen. Um, uh, and and it, it's it's sort of, in many ways, it's very artsy, you know, in that it's not a uh, not narrative, and it sort of can be ponderous and meandering at times, but. What it also has, something that the Slaughter Rule had, um, despite being a very heavy film, it has a lot of humor in it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very funny. And then in a rare humorous role, David Morse from the Slaughter Rule comes back as, like, he's a con man slash pilot slash something, like, criminal who may not actually exist because our characters drunk so much like there are plenty of things that happen in the movie where we're not sure if that's supposed to be real like there's one part where he's actually talking to her wife his wife but her teeth are green it's like a real conversation but her teeth are all weird green colored and like it's not explained hmm. there so there's weird things like that that happen and it, it's it's a um uh, one thing i appreciate and probably something that i um responded to with the slaughter rule is that um, I like, uh, I'm a fan of art film, but I also am a fan of films that make me laugh, you mm-hmm. know, and I sometimes get annoyed at the idea that in order to be a serious 
film, you can't have uh, humor, mm-hmm. you know. And some, you know, Terrence Malick can do it pretty well without humor. Uh, but uh, a lot of times, I think it's the mark of an amateur to to be um, afraid to have humor in your serious art film. Uh, and I mean, and Winter in the Blood definitely has laughs. Yeah, it does. It, as we've mentioned before, um, because humor is itself not considered you know it's not serious it's a laugh um that i think people if they want to be taken seriously they will sometimes if they're if they're making a comedy if they want it to be taken seriously they will incorporate moments of drama and it will become a drama comedy or a dramedy uh Mm -hmm. but at the same time um if somebody's making something serious that does seem to again you said it's it's the mark of an amateur and i'd say that's kind of true um and yeah, because it's just like, well, we're ma- we're tackling serious issues here. There's nothing funny about this. And it's like, well, there's something funny about anything. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, I mean, as I say before, when is the last time? I mean, I'm I laughed at not at my dad's funeral, but like on that day, I was laughing sure. with friends and yeah. stuff. It just when's the last time you went a day without laughing, even if you're in the midst of sh- a lot of shit happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, you laugh at it, least once or twice. That's that's true. Yeah, this show is look at this best... show is not a comedy show. Yours and mine. This is uh, ostensibly a film discussion show, right. and we laugh quite a bit. Yeah. Perhaps the listener doesn't, we, but we, we hope do. they do. But yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and if you look at some like some of the biggest names in like I guess art film, um, David Lynch, Guy Madden, like these are. They're yeah. very funny people. Oh yeah, and there's a lot. There's a lot of laughs in both of their films. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, all right, moving on because I don't. We can't spend this long on every right. But that was maybe my most anticipated film of the festival, so it's okay to spend a little bit of time of it. Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you this. I was going to ask you this. Uh, this broad question um, first. Uh, first off, how many movies did you see total? Less than I had initially set out to but okay. probably more than i will see next year i'll admit that i got a little burned out uh, i could and see that's that. why as it went on i saw fewer films a day you know the my second day the um the saturday the 15th of june i saw five films and i uh couldn't i, I couldn't keep that up um so uh, i think i saw 20 to 22 films over the course of like a week and a half yeah, like eleven days. Yeah, I think. that's not that's certainly that's not bad at all. And it goes to, it goes to what I always worry about with film festivals. I've never uh, I've never been to one, partially because I worry that I will get burned out. Mm-hmm. But I also, as I've said, and again, maybe this isn't fair, but I, I feel like it's it doesn't do justice to any any of the films you're watching. Except maybe the first three, but, you know, how many did you say you saw? 22? Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, around number 19, 20. At that point, you're probably not as receptive to those movies emotionally yeah. Yeah. as you are to the other ones. And I feel like that's... I guess I'm kind of coming out against film festivals, and I'm not really. <laughs> uh, you know, they can and be I a do very feel good thing, like, but... I do feel like most of the best stuff I saw was in the first couple of days, and I wonder if that's because I was burned out. Right. But I, I, I think that most... I think it's true that most of the best stuff I saw. Although um, one of the best things I saw was the last thing I saw in the last day, so... Okay. So, we'll get to that. what... Uh, did you see anything that you think was straight up bad? Yeah. We'll get okay. to that. All right. Um... So I mentioned Winter in the Blood was one of my most anticipated. One that should have been more anticipated by me if I 
paid attention because um, apparently this film had a lot of buzz that I didn't know about. Uh, it's a documentary called The Act of Killing. Oh, yeah. Um, which is... Let me tell you the premise because I didn't get the cr- premise across correctly in, the, in our preview episode because I misunderstood it. So in 1965 and 66, there were, uh, you know, numbers are not uh, clear, but uh, perhaps a million or two people um, killed in Indonesia by the government, mostly uh, communists and liberals and intellectuals and, and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of the killing was, I mean, some of it, I guess, was done by the military, but also the government employed gangsters, like, mm-hmm. you know, criminal organizations to carry out their killings for them. And because the government that um, that that carried out these killings is still the government that's in power today there's never been it's not like it's not like cambodia or anything there's never been any trials or any uh right. retribution or or anything so these gangsters are now kind of like folk heroes in in the movie because these this genocide is essentially still considered it's something the government and the people are proud of wow uh, in indonesia it's a, this movie is not flattering to indonesia at all um but here's where it gets even weird. Okay, so yes, obviously this is they're like folk heroes now. They um, um, did these awful things. Uh, this British director Joshua, Oppenhe- Joshua Oppenheimer went down there. He said, "Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a documentary um, telling your story, and I'm going to have you. I'm going to give you know you in any any way that you choose." Recreate the things that were done. That's right. And so they're okay. like big movie fans so you've got essentially like gangster type stuff you know like like noirish type stuff you've got westerns it's like a musical sequence there's like all the stuff that that you know uh because they're they romanticize Mm -hmm. what they did um and it is incredibly difficult to watch like if 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 we had john wayne playing joseph stalin or something (laughs) like that uh but these, I mean, this, but the, this is actually the people who did it who right. are acting it out. Oh, it's incredibly difficult to watch. The, one of the first things, literally one of the first things that happens is that one of the, like maybe the, I guess what you'd call the main character of the film was one of the gangsters. His name is uh, now I'm talking. I think Anwar is his name. Um, showing this sort of like courtyard in the city, which is where they did a lot of the. Um, uh, they used a they used like garroting a lot to kill the people. Mm-hmm. So he's showing like. Um, showing you this courtyard, uh, and he's saying this is where the bodies were. It was the bodies this deep. The whole, the whole ground here was covered in blood. And then he says, uh, and he, he says, and you know, after we do it to you know get uh, to to relax, we'd go out dancing. And then he literally starts dancing. He's dancing like it couldn't be a more perfect metaphor. He's dancing on like the spot where he killed thousands of people. Um, that's in the heavens very very early on. I'm not gonna go too far into what happens as it goes on because it um it, it like if you think the the recreation thing um sounds glib mm-hmm. um which is i think um if you don't haven't seen the film would be a valid criticism see the film because um it 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 it, it explores this and it goes places that you um that you won't expect and that are uh, incredibly effective. It's definitely one of the films that has stuck with me more than anything else I saw at the it, festival. You know, it it doesn't sound glib to me at all. In fact, I feel like it's something that I need to see for a number of reasons. I, you know, it's very strange. I I 
I go back and forth between an insanely craven point of view about what humanity is, both as a function of my Christianity and also me being who I am. Uh-huh. But then I'll also go back, like, I've known a lot of people in my life, but I feel like I've never known anybody that's dumb. And as a result, I feel like, well, surely there's nobody that's just dumb, right? (laughs) There might be people that are dumb in certain situations, as you and I have talked about. Um, I'm dumb in certain situations, maybe most situations, you know? And so, like, I I have this weird thing, like, I cannot imagine it. As, As easily as you and I may talk about dumb people or whatever, I have a hard time imagining it. In the same way... I recognize that murder happens, and I recognize that state-sponsored genocide happens. Mm -hmm. But I just, I can't imagine, I can't imagine someone going through with it and not, and remaining okay with it. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, I don't want to say much. I think you should just see the film, and it is, it'll come out. It's, this is, um, uh, it's, I guess it's been completed since, uh, for a while. He, he followed them for like, for like eight years, I think, like. Um, 2000, I don't know, uh, 2005 to 2011 or something like that. That's not eight years. That's six years. Um, anyway, um, that sounds wonderful, but, uh, the movie was completed. And then, um, among the people who got to see it early on were Werner Herzog and Errol Morris, both of whom are now producers of the film because they're seeing to it that it will get a bigger, bigger release, the release it deserves. Um, so, and so it, it definitely is getting a wide release. Uh, yeah, and you, you should also know that this guy. Um, now, the, the, what I saw was the I guess the cut that's going to be released in the U.S., which is about 125 minutes. I guess the international cut is almost a half hour longer. But my understanding is that the, most of that is um, it, it just shows more of the recreations that they right. filmed, which we see. More, this is more of like a making of. We've, we see very little of the finished product of the recreate of the staged recreations. Um, you should also know that the main guy, uh, I think it's Anwar, um, is okay with the final film, um, and that uh, how you feel about that will change once you see the film. Boy, oh boy! All right, um, let's get into my five movie day real quick. Knock some of these out. Um, the first thing I saw there were um, there was a uh, I guess a sidebar maybe at the festival called uh, that was just retro mm-hmm. where they showed older films. Two of them were you know old old black and white films both French uh, no not French <laughs> sorry the one I'm about to talk about is Italian the other one's French um, and then there was one that's in the like films that got away category which is a film from just 2009 that never got um, a release it, it, you know it never got a theatrical release in the US and never even got a festival or anything screening in Los Angeles so it was this, it's Los Angeles premiere um, but we'll get to that later uh, the first one of those I saw is Fellini's Omricord mm-hmm. um, which I had never seen before and which I uh uh, which I really enjoyed in spite of myself. I think because Fellini is just such a, he was a great filmmaker that could really sort of sweep you up in his movie and mm-hmm. carry it along. Uh, even though a lot of the movie is very vulgar, which is something that marked, I think, a lot of Fellini's, especially like later. This is a color film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, there's just, I don't know, just the the the, the sexual content is very juvenile, um, and it's based on his memories of being a, a juvenile i guess right. in his hometown so uh it it makes sense but it is it is a little crass but in a way that feels oh it's harmless mm-hmm. <laughs> uh and it does have a a fun uh, a fun sense to it I, i'd like to pick up 
um, uh, the I, I I don't know if it's on Blu-ray yet, but I'd like to see that because I I feel like the print um, that was screened at LA Film Fest was not not perfect. Hmm. Um, but uh, our um, it was the first of two movies over the festival I, I watched uh, with our uh, good friend Kyle Anderson, who was mm-hmm. also covering the festival for Nerdist.com, and uh, we saw that one together. Uh, then I saw. Um, Another documentary called My Stolen Revolution, which was uh, good, not great, but it's one of those documentaries where the um, the subject matter is so compelling that that the amateurishness of the telling, you know, doesn't doesn't mar it. Mm-hmm. Basically, um, the director is a woman who was a um, in the seventies, late seventies in Iran before um, before the um, the revolution. You know, when the uh, um, uh, when the Ayatollah took over, mm-hmm. um, the people who were revol- who were revolting against um, uh, uh, against the leader were both the Islamists who ended up taking over, but also people who were um, objecting a more secular uh, uh, grounds, um, I guess more intellectual ones or whatever. Uh, she was one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened was, even though they were fighting together at the time, once the um, Islamists took over, a lot of these people were political prisoners and were uh tortured and kept for uh jailed for years and she was able to to escape um and years later you know many years later this is filmed only a couple years ago this documentary uh she decided to look up uh someone else who escaped that she hadn't talked to since and then from there she found out this woman was like oh well i'm still in contact with so-and-so who didn't escape who was in prison for nine years and then so she meets her and then meets another. So it's all these women who were... It ends up being... The the coincidence of the film is she invites to her home for a week five women who were Iranian revolutionaries who were imprisoned for nine years, and they hmm. tell their stories. Um, and so it's really compelling stuff. Uh, again, it's not the most um, aesthetically pleasing or... A competently assembled documentary but mm. it's uh really well, as long as it story. does as long as the inherent power of this story is maintained yeah. which it sounds like it'd be hard not to it's, but you, uh, you can still must you know muck that up a little bit yeah i'll say d- despite it being amateurish it was the biggest tearjerker for me of hmm. the entire festival um all right another movie i saw that day was called my sister's quinceanera um which i absolutely loved um i don't know why uh this film isn't getting more uh more, more press it's it's just uh it's the story of a guy who's probably i guess about 19 or 20 um and he's a latino living in um a small town in in Iowa and his father is um not in the picture i think he's supposed to be back on the other side of the border they don't say i don't think they say what country they're from so basically he's the man of the household he helps his mother with his younger siblings Mm -hmm. um and so it all takes place in the lead up to his next youngest sibling quinceanera which is a 15th birthday celebration Mm -hmm. uh for uh, a lot of latino uh girls um but it's not really about the quinceanera it's just about him um but it does have this sort of idea of leading up to something which is just a good you know structure for a movie Mm -hmm. but what it's really about is about how he's he's done with high school and he's very close to his siblings and his mom but also he wants to go to college and it's about and i don't think his mom would ever say 
no, don't go to college, but his mom is not encouraging him to go to college. Right. Um, because she needs him around the house. Um, okay. Not that she's a bad mom at all. Uh, it's a very, you know, it's it's complex. But uh, it, it, it really has, it just features a bunch of, I don't know um, how many of them are professional actors. Because a lot of times the... Uh, when the credits come up, you realize the character has the same first name as the actor, which mm -hmm. is maybe to me like a clue that often maybe these aren't uh, professional actors. Yeah. But uh, like a, um, well, I know you on more than one lesson recently talked about uh, Bicycle Thieves. Yeah. Like a Vittorio De Sica, um, the, the director whose name I'm now drawing a blank on, um, uh, it's a guy he has three names. Look at it. Up. It's called My Sister's Continuera. Look it up. Uh, it gets amazing performances out of these people amazingly naturalistic performances which I james badge dale it's not it's like it's but you know it might be james it's like something aaron johnston because i thought about the guy from kick-ass oh okay who is aaron johnson or aaron johnston uh but it's like james aaron johnston or something like that okay uh anyway um i i guess you uh, i'm not sure what it's like working with non-actors. I'm not sure what it's like directing a film. Um, I kind of hope to never find out. But um, it seems like getting a naturalistic performance might be even more difficult, um, counterintuitively, you know, out of a non-actor. In high school, I directed a play uh, <laughs> at my church. And uh, it was, you know, my uh, a function of the, the youth group that I was a part of. And it was a full play. It was one that I was uh, familiar with already. I had uh, been in it uh, in Denver, and then in Nixa, um, the uh, youth pastor said, hey, I was thinking of doing this play. Are you familiar with it? I was like, yeah, I did it last year. He's like, oh, do you want to direct it? And I said, yeah, sure. And he said, now, we literally, you will have to use, because it was a small church, he's like, you'll have to use everybody in the youth group. And I was like, uh-oh, that's... <laughs> Because a lot of them uh, enjoy doing little skits and stuff, but this is a full play, and all of them need to be in it. Uh, and uh, I did bring in a couple of ringers from the theater department uh, from school, but uh, for a couple of the harder roles. Uh, but yeah, and so I had to direct uh, like football players, um, and it went off pretty well, and... Actually, that led to my theory that everybody can act. You just need, you need to know with, with the right director and with some of those actors, I think I was the right director with others. Maybe not, but uh, I think everybody uh, has stuff in their own life that they can draw from emotionally. Yeah. And I think everybody can act if you if you get just the right if you know just the right notes to play. Um, you know, I'm going to jump ahead to something. I've been going chronologically over what I saw, but this ties in. I saw a documentary about Harry Dean Stanton called mm -hmm. Partly Fiction. That was uh, the other movie that I watched with Kyle. Um, and uh, his his advice, his like only strongest advice to actors is to play yourself. Um, but I think like the term naturalism, playing yourself is probably harder than it seems. And yet everyone's... Everyone thinks it's the easiest thing. They always people. I can't think of a more uh, oft-heard dismissal of an actor than "Oh, he only ever plays himself." Yeah. It's like I try it sometime. Yeah, I hate that so much. And because what you're saying, because you know what, the actors you like mostly only play themselves. You just don't like Michael Sarah or whoever this like person is. <laughs> um, uh, that seems like it's a common. Uh, yeah, that one Michael pops Sarah. up a lot with him. Yeah. Um, so uh, Harry Dean Stanton Partly Fiction was really great it's really short uh, it's coming out it's got 
David Lynch in it. It's got Chris Christopherson in it. And the best part of the screening, other than the movie, was the fact that Harry Dean Stanton was there mm-hmm. and that he not only did a and a but he sang a couple songs after. Uh, I'm really glad that I got to, to see that. Does he seem like a genial guy? Uh, yeah, but he also seems like kind of a... Um, um, no bullshit kind of guy. I was like, gonna say he seems like uh, like I don't think he would be. I don't think he's mean to people, but I don't think he's gonna go out of his way to be nice to people either. I think he's kind of a a straight talker, if you will. Yeah. Also, he's a little up in years. I don't think he's got time for uh, for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It. I said this on the mini podcast. Harry Dean Stanton is who I'd like to imagine I will be if I live to Harry Dean Stanton's age. Oh wow. Uh, mostly because he still drinks and smokes. Oh, good. <laughs> like, he still has a social... He go, not just at home. Like, he still goes out to bars, like, alone. Like, he has... He has, like... He's, like, a regular at a bar. Huh. Uh, you wouldn't know it to look at him. <laughs> but, it, like, he has a... There's one part where he is at the bar at Dantana's, which is a steakhouse, but also the bar that he goes to, and he steps up with the bartender to have a cigarette together. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about how... Um, this bartender's been working at Dantana's since, like... 1964 or something and has been like this bartender is as close to harry dean stanton as any of the like chris christopherson or david lynch like it's one of his oldest friends yeah it's really cool that sounds delightful all right uh back to um saturday uh the the 15th uh i saw ain't them body saints which is still an annoying title and is you know what i'm gonna say maybe it's kind of the thing i was talking about with winter in the blood it's joyless Mm. I did not. It, it's got it, it's got good actors in it. it. You know, it's got your Casey Affleck, your Rooney Mara, your Ben, ben Foster, Foster. Yeah. and then the best person in the movie, Keith Carradine, who's usually nice. the best person in movies that he's in. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of Keith Carradine because yeah. he actually does. Whereas um, Casey Affleck, Rooney Mara, and Ben Foster are mostly just brooding the whole movie. Hmm. Keith Carradine, who is also like carrying regret and stuff on his shoulders still no. seems like a real person not just a uh well at this point a, in his life a brooding he's brooding prop yeah at, the, <laughs> at this point he in his life he does seem to play those types of characters a lot and recognizes that uh i don't know maybe just maybe that just comes with age i mean at our age if if you're in a bad mood or you're brooding it's just like oh everything kind of sucks mm-hmm. but when you're older it's like yeah, stuff sucks, but you get past it, you know. <laughs> right. So you can still be, you don't have to be joyless. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't love that. What I did love, maybe my favorite film of the festival. Okay. Um, I'm not sure about that. Um, a documentary called The Expedition to the End of the World. All right. Which is uh, basically the, 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 the setup is that there's a, there are fjords in northern Greenland that be, because of ice, had, no one has no humans have been there since the stone age. Ooh. Uh, but now because the ice is melting, like there's three weeks a year where you can get in there. And so take that Al Gore. <laughs> yeah. So this team of scientists and artists, it's a great thing. Like oh. you've got, you've got, um, people who, uh, like draw and paint as well as photographers. And of course a documentarian, uh, as well as like geologists and animal, like biologists, uh, all go and like spend three weeks exploring, this place together uh and so i think what i'm describing sounds like it would be a good documentary that you'd see on discovery or something right but uh, as much as the documentary loves it, it enjoys telling you like the scientific facts that they uncover and some of them are pretty astounding um it's 
more interested in the conversations that uh, are spurred by by this um, between scientists and artists. And, and the idea, you know, uh, the, 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 the title comes to have two meanings. It's called The Expedition to the End of the World because mm-hmm. it's way up north at that end of the world. But it, they also talk about the sort of – there's a lot of talk about the impermanence of man and that the idea that um, – which is something that George Carlin actually did a bit about years ago. The idea that when people say we need to save the earth, what they're really saying is we need to save the earth for ourselves. The earth is yeah. going to be fine. Like, yeah, it's gonna. Uh, it's I think gonna George shake. It's gonna shake us off like a bunch of ticks or something like, or fleas. Uh, is that what George I, Carlin said? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so in uh, that conversation, that sort of conversation comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. But the movie is also really dryly funny. Like these guys, um, there's a there, <laughs> there's a sort of uh, healthy um, one-upsmanship between the art, like the artist and the scientist. They're always like talking shit about one another. And there's one part where the scientist is. Like in the guise of like musing out loud, but really just trying to be an asshole to the artist, he's talking about how um, in every other walk of life, like or any other job, you have to you have to know something like that's you're getting compensated for your skill set and your knowledge, and mm. he's like the only thing the artist is good at is not knowing anything, <laughs> and it goes on a little longer. It's it's very funny. It was it was the biggest surprise and probably the best time I had at uh, any film at the festival. Here's what's good about, well, first off, that sounds amazing. And does the, does the place itself look particularly? Oh, it's beautiful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the cinematography is, is uh, really, really stunning. And one part, there's one of the women, uh, who's one of the uh, scientists uh, has a shirt. She's like giving, an interview about like what she hopes to find and stuff, but she's just wearing this shirt that just in big black letters says "fuck everything and become a pirate." <laughs> that's <laughs> it has, like, you know, a picture of a boat on it. You know, that's one of the reasons. Okay, so right now you are wearing a mighty boosh shirt, am, yeah, with a big off. with a big goofy uh, face on. We're going to work today, right? Of course not. Um, but uh, and I I have a couple of kind of goofy shirts, and one of the reasons that I don't wear them or i wear them very reluctantly is what if something happens during my day that i need someone to take me seriously for it's <laughs> yeah. why i stopped you, <laughs> you, you remember you the, got finn and jake <laughs> right. yeah i mean you remember my old shirt that my brother bought me with uh, the ticks he- smiling face <laughs> yes. on it you also remember- had the um oh what was the character's name uh from that oh never mind i'm drawing a complete blank oh man i'm trying to the it's a, like a famous internet funny thing Oh, oh, uh, Homestar Runner. Homestar Runner. Yeah, yes. I had uh, I had a strong bad shirt for a strong long time, bad, and I yeah. stopped wearing that just because I grew tired of the comic uh, of the cartoons. But uh, I never grow tired of the tick. But after a while, I was just like, "What if I have to get in a fight with someone today?" <laughs> you know? Yeah, I really did. Like, uh, like I th- mentioned Finn and Jake because I walked past a yard sale. They had like a couple really awesome Adventure Time shirts, and I was like, "When am I going to wear that?" Yeah. <laughs> All right, but um, um, anyway, uh, so. One of the other things, and I know this is dumb, but uh, doesn't it just seem like the premise of that seems like something out of a middle-of-the-road sci-fi horror movie <laughs> in which this this right. place we've never explored, and now let's bring a ragtag group of people from all walks of life. Yeah, and there's and, some sort of mutation of polar bears that no one's ever right. seen in 10,000 years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there are polar bears in the movie. It's pretty awesome. All right. Um, yeah, one of the parts is one of the artists wants to go off um, looking for a polar bear and like the 
people who know their stuff they're yeah. like no it's not safe for us to separate right now and the guy's like we don't give a fuck about that we are <laughs> what does he say uh, i'm trying to do like the accent like, we don't give a fuck about that we are petty bourgeois anarchists give us the fucking guns <laughs> <laughs> all right that's um, delightful so yeah that's uh, i hope that one gets a wider release because you should definitely check out the expedition to the end of the world um the first and maybe the worst movie that I saw, the first bad movie and maybe the worst. I won't spend too long on it because I feel bad to, being mean to a movie that is so so small, you know? Yeah. Um, and anyway, I was, I was mean to Anthem Body Saints, and I'm fine with that. That's a big movie. Directed by David Lowery, not the lead singer from 90s alt-rock band Cracker. I, I had to look it up because I kind of hoped that it was. When I saw David <laughs> Lowery, I was like, what, what if the guy from Cracker made this movie? It's not. So, right. well, real quick. So, Anthem Body Saints is... A film that has been anticipated by a number of people. Yeah, it it, it um, I think got good buzz at Sundance. I think is right. Well. And is it a is it a film that you would even recommend people see if they like if okay if n- you're anticipating it then you yeah you should check it out and see for yourself. Okay, but um, there there will almost certainly be something else better opening the same weekend as okay. Anthem Body Saints. Okay. Um, Okay, but uh, the movie I really disliked was a movie called 40 Years from Yesterday, where which is the one we talked about when we did our preview, which was kind of like the opening premise of About Schmidt, but then taken taken seriously. Mm-hmm. The, the guy basically comes home uh, from his morning run and finds that his wife has expired. Right. Um, and then the film basically takes place over the next 48 hours or so, and the it seems to me that the idea behind the film, mm-hmm. right... Is that it, uh, it? It cuts back and forth. Parallel editing is what we, uh, what I learned. It was called in film school. Um, there's the one storyline that is just the um, the Undertaker coming, taking the body, and the preparation of the body for the open casket. Mm-hmm. That's just the only thing that's going on in that story. Is this guy washing the woman and like the you know embalming, um, and then the other story is the the uh, father and his, um, or the the husband and his three grown daughters, um, although who we later realize are not his biological, uh, they're from her uh, previous marriage, mm-hmm. um, grieving. And I guess the idea is to compare processes, you know, on one oh, hand, a okay. very strict one, and then hand a, a messier not one. Not a terrible idea. It's not a terrible idea. I think it's actually a really great idea, but it um, falls short in a number of ways, which it, in, instead of showing the grieving being messy, it's just boring like it's mm. just people just sitting a lot and nothing happening uh and the other way that it i don't know i tend to like that kind of thing i don't think you'd like this so you All right. check it out but um and the other way that i think it fails is that uh maybe it's because i have read things such as um the american way of death by jessica midford which everyone should read by the way um about the funeral industry in america but uh it's definitely pulling some punches on the preparation of the body part mm-hmm. you know and maybe i'm just being macabre or whatever but uh i would have liked to have seen some of the grosser stuff <laughs> you know uh and and seen that treated and then the the third thing and this is just feels like me being a little bit mean but you know it's a low budget film and there are long shots of this dead body being washed and you know it's a it's a live woman playing the dead body and there are times that you can oh tell that she's not dead all right uh and that that you know i 
if other things in the movie worked better, I'd be able to forgive that. But it, right. I'm already not in like in it enough. It, it just took me further out of the movie. I don't want to spend too much time on that. What I do want to talk about, and I also won't spend too much time on this because it's going to come out. You're going to, you know, we're going to be fine. But uh, yeah, it's a movie called You're Next, which is something that uh, I and other people who probably you know listen to the same podcast and read the same websites as I do. Uh, have been hearing about since Fantastic Fest 2011, September 2011. Um, and we even talked about it uh, when you weren't here. Uh, I, I talked about it in the show with um, one of the film stars, A.J. Bowen, who was on with our friend Susan Burke. Um, and, uh, you know, this played at Fantastic Fest in 2011. And then, you know, as A.J. explained in that episode, there were some sort of uh, changes in leadership at Lionsgate. And then we just sort, sort of got shuffled around. And mm. um, But they clearly believe in it, but they just didn't have a place for it at that time uh and so people who've seen it then and, and seen it at its occasional festival showing since then have been talking about it a lot saying it's really great so this is one that i went in you know as much as i try to avoid hype this is a movie that i've been hearing about from people who know their shit on horror movies right for a and, year and a half more than people in the film <laughs> and people in the film um so when i say that your next not only lives up to but exceeds the expectations that i had that is a glowing endorsement all right um it is so much fun it is such a blast and you know the um the director and writer um adam wingard and simon barrett um respectively they talked at they talked before the film saying they you know they wanted to make a horror film that was actually fun to watch again you know they felt like horror was becoming too sort of uh dour yeah, dour um and i was like oh that sounds great and i'll say for the first movie half hour maybe even more of the movie i was like is this their idea of fun to watch because it is pretty brutal okay um but once it takes the turn it's um i, I mean it's like it, 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 it i felt like i was at like a midnight screening of a Harry Potter movie, the way the audience was like cheering and and, and reacting, just huge reactions in the audience to to the movie. It's uh, yeah, definitely definitely see your next, and definitely see it with an audience because that was a yeah. big part of the uh, part of the fun. Yeah, I know you've got a lot more things to get to, but let me throw this out there. Okay, uh, I read an article, and I wish, I really do wish that it was coming to uh, Los Angeles, but it is not. Uh, at Universal Studios Florida for Halloween Horror Nights, they are going to do... You and I went to Halloween Horror Nights here. Yeah. And uh, we went through those mazes. Uh, they're going to have a Cabin in the Woods maze. Huh. Which... And from what it, and from what it sounds like, you actually have to walk through the woods to get there. And then... Uh, then they recreate the cabin. Then they recreate the uh, cube world and, and uh, labs oh. and stuff like but that. But I wonder... Uh, can, can we... Can we spoiler? Sure. What Spo- the okay, spoilers Spoilers for Cabin in the Woods. I wonder if you will get to choose who the monsters are. Uh, you know, That'd be neat. The way that the, or, or if they'll just stick with the psycho redneck zombie family. Oh, no. They said it's it's going to be a mixture of... They're going to... Kind of all of them will okay. show up, and it'll be kind of a recreation of, of the film. Oh, if it turned into like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing. <laughs> but I think that would take too much time. Yeah. But you know what? Like, as much as you don't care for that film... If there was a, a maze... Oh, yeah. That definitely hit some sort of base, you know, pleasure centers. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's zip along um, to a couple things. A documentary called First Cousin Once Removed, which I, I think... I think it, it... Well, it's... I mean, it, it's HBO Films, so I think it's going to air on HBO at some, time, at some mm-hmm. point, but it's not part of their summer documentary series, which I thought it was. So I'm not sure um, 
when you can see it but uh it's it's really good it's also uh really upsetting um because it's about alzheimer's and basically it's a guy um a guy interviewing his first cousin once removed who has alzheimer's and um just we learn about his life but we also learn about the disease and we see him you know going over like visiting him weekly for years and sometimes asking the same question and you get completely different answers at different times uh is it's very upsetting but also i don't know i've talked before about um my experience working in a nursing home and i worked at the one i I worked uh, often in the alzheimer's wing and uh i started out doing just serving food but then i you know they liked me the staff over there so i started working in like activities you know doing bingo and games and stuff with the alzheimer's patients and so that experience is very i don't know formative like it, it very impactful for me and so um i think uh i think this is a movie that should be seen i think you know uh alzheimer's is something that is i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say but it's uh important to me and i i i i think that um this sort of humanistic portrayal of a person with alzheimer's is is helpful yeah my grand my uh my grandpa had alzheimer's and uh thankfully uh once it once it came on, it was a very swift decline, and it was not a it did not last years. He I think he was gone like nine months later, but uh, and yeah, and it was it was really heartbreaking to to watch um, to watch the decline, and uh, and I feel like film by and large, if they're going if they portray Alzheimer's, it's like they don't actually want to show what it is. Um, and and you know depending on what stage you're in it could be any number of things but mm-hmm. you know like in the notebook which, uh, which is a movie that i that i actually think is pretty good but and it's a melodrama so i i'll i'll forgive uh, some of its you know me- some of its melodrama mm-hmm. um but uh it's like it's it's like they uh don't want to take away your hope uh, as a viewer, and mm-hmm. so they'll have they'll allow the character to have little flashes of total coherence. And you do it even in points. late late stage. Yeah, and yeah, it, it yeah, it's a progressive disease. Yeah. And I don't mean it supports gay marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Alzheimer's is not on the right side of history, as we all know. All right. Um, all right. Uh, I also saw a documentary called "The Women and the Passenger," which is one that you had said sounded really cool. Which mm-hmm. is um, basically uh, a documentary about women who work as maids at a sex hotel in Chile. Um, and it's actually it's it's short. It's um, it's kind of funny, uh, but it um, really it, it's it's undercurrent or uh, it, I guess unspoken uh, interest is. Um, the clash between um i guess modern casual sex and um these these women most of whom come from a very sort of uh deeply rooted catholic background um and uh i I, i'm sure that the movie i'm sure that that the filmmakers had a point of view and maybe edited toward that Mm -hmm. but um it seems very humanistic this idea that most of these um women they might disapprove of premarital 
uh, sex or, or, you know, I mean, one woman, you know, uh, states very clearly that she doesn't think that one night stands are uh, a thing that should happen. Mm -hmm. But they also have attitudes towards sex itself outside of that idea of, of marriage that, um, about the idea that sex should be fun and adventurous and you can explore and try new things and, and that it should be, uh, it's not just for procreation or it's not just for the man's pleasure or, or, mm. or whatever, you know, which is, um, I'm sure to a lot of our listeners, that's, uh, those aren't exactly revelatory, uh, points of view, but a, a middle-aged woman who, um, was, who has been Catholic right. and, and remains Catholic is probably going to have a harder time coming to grips with some of that. I, I know what it's like to, I know what the attitudes towards sex are. Uh, mm-hmm. In the Catholic Church, that are often very, you know, there's a lot of shame attached, um, uh, and so it was. The movie was a little bit lighter, um, you know, a little bit more lightweight, I guess, than I mm-hmm. had hoped it would be. But it was interesting and and fun. It was kind of cool, and some good photography in there. Mm-hmm. Um, moving right along, another uh, another retro uh, thing was a Herman Melville film called Two Men in Manhattan, a movie that was actually. Hang on. Not Herman, John, yeah, John, John Pierre, Pierre Melville. Melville. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. I was like, I. Yeah. I don't think he directed. <laughs> he took John Pierre Melville's real last name was not Melville. Right. He took it from Herman Melville. Right. I think that's right. Anyway, but yes, the John Pierre Melville film. Thank you for catching me on that. Called Two Men in Manhattan, um, which he actually shot all the exteriors in Manhattan. The movie's in French, but uh, it's just the the idea is that. Um, the French ambassador to the UN has gone missing, and two reporters, uh, you know, one a sort of button-down, uh, career-ambitious uh, type, and one uh, sort of a louse and a scoundrel photographer right. type. One guy throws uh, a cigar down, the other guy uses his umbrella to pick it back up. <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, they head off into the night to track down the story of what happened to hmm. the ambassador. And it's just sort of Jean-Pierre Melville getting to explore his, like, uh, you know, his... 50s america fetish yeah. and and just like it, it's just a really cool place you know and they go to like a burlesque show and they drink all night and they like hmm. it's 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 more about tone than story but it's it's a fun time although all the american actors the 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 interiors were all shot on sound stages in france it was only mm-hmm. the ex- exteriors that were shot in manhattan and the american actors are all terrible oh, okay. without Without exception, every American who speaks in the movie That's an interesting accent. Where are you from? (laughs) That sort of thing. Um, But um, the interesting thing is that Jean-Pierre Melville plays the lead, the button-down type, which is the only time that he acted in one of his own movies. He was in Godard films and stuff, but this was the only time he acted in his own movie. Okay, um, let's move along. Uh, The House That Jack Built, I didn't care much for this, though I like the idea, which is that um, it's about a... uh, you know, I hesitate to say. I think they're supposed to be Puerto, Rican, Puerto Rican, but uh an extended family in New York that all li- like the entire extended family all lives in the same apartment building. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because the um the youngest son of one of the couples in this family is a very successful drug dealer and he bought the building and lets his family all live there for free. And the idea is that he uh, kind of like um, the idea behind uh, John Singleton's Baby Boy, mm-hmm. like even though he postures and like sells drugs and has guns and stuff, he just doesn't want to grow up. And because he was babied as a kid, he yeah. wants to keep that together. And so it's basically him 
fighting against like the changes because his like his older brother is uh, his wife's cheating on him, and then his older sister is a lesbian, and it's just all these things he doesn't want. He doesn't want anything to change, hmm. uh, so he's fighting against that. It's a good idea, but it ends up turning into um, melodrama where his his older brother ends up getting involved in a really contrived way with like a drug deal, and so um, oh, okay. then he has to like make a choice between like. Oh, uh, all right. So yeah, it, it gets really uh, it gets a little heavy handed. It has it has a good premise and setup, and and the main actor whose name I uh, put down. If you look at my write up on the website, you'll see the guy who plays Jack is actually really great, and mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, manages to almost keep it on the rails as it goes along. Uh, it still ends up falling apart, but uh, it's, it's he's really great. I hope to see him in better stuff. Okay, um, who the patient stone? Uh, we don't need to talk too much about that. That's also one that's a good idea. Um, uh, here, well, this will I'll explain the premise of the movie. And this is I think this will sound like something that you would love. Okay. It would sound like something I would like too, but it isn't done well. Okay. Um, basically, the patient stone. It, that title comes from an allegory uh, that is told uh, to the character in the movie about a woman. The movie takes place in modern day Afghanistan, um, but a, a woman who told all her troubles to a stone, and then once she was done, the stone split open, and then she was unburdened of all her troubles. Hmm. Right. So um, the idea is that um, her neighborhood in. Um, I'm not sure what city it's supposed to be in, but uh, um, in this town in Afghanistan is has become the front for uh, fighting. Mm-hmm. You know, war. You know, explosions and guns and all this, all this stuff. Um, and her husband is one of the Islamic free, freedom fighter types. But at the time the movie, at the time the movie opens, he's been shot through the neck and is paralyzed and is staying at home, and she has to take care of him. So. Um, as the fighting comes close, she moves her kids in with her aunt, I think. And um, so it's just her in her house with her husband, who is completely unresponsive. Um, and she's talking to him, mm-hmm. telling him everything. So he becomes the patient stone, right. you know. And so it's about... And he splits open at the end of the movie, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like. Uh, not quite, but not entirely not true either. Okay. Um, but uh, it's... Um, you know, it definitely explores what it's like to be uh, a, a young woman in Afghanistan, which is, uh, yeah. as you might guess, not pleasant. Um, and uh, and so I like that, but it just the the dialogue is just really flowery, purple. I guess is what uh, people say, purple prose, mm-hmm. right? That's a thing. Um, and uh, it, it just is way too pretentious and portentous and and uh just trying too hard. Well, and any time you have somebody who uh who is speaking at length in monologues to someone else, whether that sometimes the screenwriter will be merciful and have that person say, "Uh-huh," from time to time. <laughs> um but anytime you do that, the dialogue is going to probably be kind of on the nose. And after a certain point, and even though I'm sure the actor, uh, the, the, the actress is doing good stuff with it after a certain point, it's just like, okay, yeah. All right. More of just declaring what you're thinking, I guess. <laughs> so, but although, although I guess maybe, you know, uh, oddly enough, um, the plight of, uh, women in, uh, certain countries, uh, has, is something I've been kind of interested in lately. 
And so perhaps there's something to be said for a movie that in which she is allowed to say everything yeah. she thinks because yeah. she's not otherwise not allowed to otherwise. That's true. Um, another movie I was looking forward to because I like a lot of some of the work of Takashi Miike. Um, and the last film of his that I saw was 13 Assassins, which I loved, mm-hmm. uh, is the awkwardly titled Lesson of the Evil. Um, and it's not very good. Mm. Uh, it's basically a a teacher who's somewhat new to a school, but is uh, like a high school, but is very popular because he's a charming sort and he's young and handsome. Um, but he's also, and this isn't a spoiler, it's, you know, revealed pretty quick, quickly, a psycho who kills people. Hmm. Um, but it just, it, it's like supposed to have like this mystery and these reveals and intrigue about his backstory and his murders and the people he's murdered before. Um, but it feels all like out of order in like a lazy way, like kind of slapped together, even though the movie's too long. And because I, I think the reason that it feels so slapped together is because did you see 13 assassins? No, I didn't. Okay. Well, the last 30 to 40 minutes of 13 assassins is just a massacre, Okay, but in a way that is awesome. That maintains the adventure of, of the film. It's, it's an adventure type film, you know? Yeah. And, and so you still have that. You're still rooting for the good guys, you know? And, um, and so you're still caught up in all the little sort of, uh, sort of mini sort of narratives that unfold within the massacre, you know, the, within the big battle. Um, this is a film that also ends in like a 30 to 40 minute massacre that is just, just drags on and is just mm-hmm. sadistic. It's not, there's no sense of fun to it. You're just watching innocent people get killed for 40 fucking minutes. And, uh, and it seems like maybe that's, that was the only part of the movie that Takashi Miike wanted to make because the whole lead up to it is. I don't know uh, if I've ever seen any movies by him. Is, is he the one that did uh, Ishii the Killer? Yeah, Ishii the Killer. Uh, and Audition? Audition is okay. probably his best known yeah. one. Yeah, I haven't seen anything by him. And because. We should definitely see 13 Assassins. Yeah, people really talked a lot about that one and that they really liked that one. But uh, but yeah, he's somebody who. The, the intensity of his films and stuff. Like, I remember when I worked at Blockbuster. And I would walk through the foreign section, and I would see the uh, the cover of Ishii the Killer, and I'd just be like, ah. <laughs> and then when someone says, "Hey, you know this uh, this filmmaker is good," he did that movie. I'm like, ah, really? <laughs> I can barely walk walk by the cover. But yeah, so but he's somebody that I'm I'm very aware. I need to. Uh, I don't know if you need to. I've actually never seen Audition. That's on my list of uh, things that. The, it's the, the type of movie that when you say no one's seen it, there are people who go, what? You've never seen? Yeah, yeah. Which is annoying to me. <laughs> I don't think I do that for any movie. I tend not to... I feel like I probably have a big reaction, but not because they haven't seen it, but because, oh, man, you are going to love right. it. Almost almost like uh, like that line in uh, Citizen Kane where, it's, where he says, I wish I could be a young boy taking a trip like that for the first time. Uh-huh. And it's... You haven't seen it. That means you're going to get to see this for the first time. Yeah, I I saw it for the first time years ago. I don't get that experience again. Now you get it. Yeah, that's usually how I respond. But it probably it could it could come off the other way as well. So I, I think because yeah, because I, I tried. I don't want to come off the other way. If someone says they haven't seen something that I think they really should see, I'll say good. Oh, I'll, no, I'll say oh, you should see that. You should check it out. <laughs> like I'll try to like downplay it. Like you oh, just kind of yeah. you throw in a little shrug in there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then if they someone says like, 
can you believe I've never seen Oh Say Back to the Future? I'll say, you don't need to see that. Um, <laughs> it's not an important film. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, another film that I really liked, uh, The I think guess the only animated film I saw at the festival was a French animated film called Ernest and Celestine, mm-hmm. which uh, left me puzzling over the idea of animated films or, or just films for children, like young children, mm-hmm. in, another, in another language. Because... The target audience for Ernest and Celestine is probably not literate enough yet to to read oh, the right. subtitles. Yeah. Uh, you know, at, at least as quickly as subtitles need to be read. Yeah, um, and that's a shame because it's a lovely, lovely movie. Yeah, uh, it's based on um, a series of of books, children's books that I guess are quite popular in France, but have never been published in the U.S. Um, Ernest is a bear, and Celestine is a mouse. And the the world in which the film takes place is a world we would recognize, except uh, they're bears instead of people. But then there's underground. There's another whole society mm-hmm. that's mice instead of people. But they have lives. You know, they drive cars and they. Uh, they're like the, the Morlocks. Post offices. And, yeah, so it is like the Eloys and the Morlocks, um, <laughs> uh, except the um, the mice are, uh, and this ties into French. Uh, the French don't. Uh, my understanding is to you know, listeners, tell me if I'm wrong. That they don't have the tooth fairy in France. It's a okay. mouse. Oh, all right. The idea is that a mouse comes. So um, that's uh, there actually are like orphan mice have to go up and collect teeth from uh, bears at night. And so Celestine is one of these uh, orphan mice. She gets uh, trapped up above and befriends. A, oh, there. Yeah, um, mice are terrified of bears in this world. But Celestine is uh, uh, an idealist who thinks that they can be friends. And she, okay. So she befriends this sort of, like, um, scoundrel-ish... Um, like, he's a he's a lovable rogue uh, character named Ernest uh, who's, you know, he, 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 like, busks on the street corner. He's not a, you know, he's not a productive member of society. Mm. But they become friends and also become sort of, like... Um, partners in crime, like literally, <laughs> they commit some crimes, but they become great friends, and then everyone, uh, everyone in the bear world and everyone in the mouse world, can finally agree on one thing, which is that they hate Ernest and Celestine, and then Ernest and Celestine have to convince them to be more open and accepting of one another. See, and, <laughs> it's very darling. And I, I have a question for you now. Uh, given the uh, the way you framed this. By and large, I am against dubbing of foreign films. However, it is, you know, and not to imply that there's voice, that the voice acting is not good or that it is uh, not important. But, you know, especially when it comes to your run-of-the-mill foreign film, the thing about dubbing is that the vocal performance might not match the facial performance or the or mm-hmm. the physical performance. Paul and I talked about this on Hey, Watch That. Hey, Watch This, actually. Okay. Because I made him watch a documentary that was subtitled. He was mad at me. Oh, uh, yes. I, lis- <laughs> I, I listened to that. But thankfully, there are plenty of hot women he could look at. Um, <laughs> oh, God. So, um, uh, those are his words. That's not yeah, my yeah. sentiment. Um, yeah. If you would listen to the episode, you'd get the joke. Yeah. And so... Uh, so yeah, but but when it comes to animated movies, you know, not to imply that the that the initial uh, voice actors are unimportant. Of course, they're very important. But we're in a situation where the t- 
target audience probably will not be able to read this thing, and it's a film they could get a mm-hmm. lot out of. So would you be opposed to dubbing in a situation like that? Uh, probably not entirely. But also, I think, I honestly think that if you, you know, subtitles gone showed this movie to a four-year-old, mm-hmm. American four-year-old, they would still love it. Yeah, I, I, watched... I, I think you they I think you know what was going on for the most part without the subtitles. I watched a secret, uh, secret world of Ari Ariadne, something like that. It's a studio uh, Ghibli, Ghibli yeah. film, and uh, and the the screening that I went to, uh, it was it was uh, dubbed over, and the dubbing was fine, but it was it was visually striking enough that I did I had that thought myself, which was oh you know I think kids could be able to follow mm-hmm. this one way or another, but. But yeah. So yeah, definitely check out Ernest and Celestine. That's one uh, one to see. Um, now, uh, one you disparaged a movie when I described it uh, 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 in the preview called Lynn Folk's One Man Band. Okay. Part of, partially that's because I um, misunderstood what it was about. Oh, all right. But uh, um, it is technically about a guy named Lynn Folk's and or Falks. I feel like it's pronounced different ways in the movie. Um, and he does have a, like a one man. He has a thing called the machine that he made that he can mm-hmm. play entirely himself, and he plays it. At, you know, plays songs throughout the movie. It's uh, you know, sort of punctuates different parts of the story. But he's also an uh, artist, and by art, I mean like again, like I've talked about before, art, art, like museum art. You know, <laughs> gallery art. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I don't know nothing about that kind of stuff. <laughs> Because uh, you're you're from you're just a plain plain guy from America. Yeah, I'm American. I don't know nothing about that art. Yeah, um, but uh, it, it's it, it's a fascinating movie. I'm going to compare it actually to the next document I'm going to talk about. In a, okay. But we'll get to that. Um, you don't need to know about art to like this movie because it's about it's a, just a fascinating portrait of a of a man who has um, been. He's been making a living as an artist for for decades, but has never gotten. He's never quite broken through, um, and um, maybe that's because of uh, the film posits that maybe it's because his work tends to be a bit ahead of its time. But also, it's because he's kind of a. Uh, I guess if you were being kind, you'd call him a curmudgeon. But he can also be kind of an asshole, okay? Especially to other artists, he doesn't. If he he does not. Uh, mince words if he doesn't like what some and someone has said, and so it, in his art school he had teachers who hated him because he would openly say to other students like, "Oh, I think this teacher's work is all mediocre and derivative," and he's just uh, uh, not able to censor himself. Uh, but also we see him. There's one of the um, one of the works that he's working on. Um, it has it has an actual name, but I can't remember what it is. It's referred to in the movie as the bedroom picture, uh, because it's a uh, painting of a couple in their bed um, that he has been working on for at least fifteen years mm-hmm. uh, in, in the movie. And um, at one point in the movie, he shows it at a gal- at a gallery, is offered seventy five thousand dollars for it, and decides not to sell it because he wants to work on it more. Uh, so he's tenacious i guess yeah uh, he's a fascinating person it's also a great los angeles movie because he um is a los angeles guy and he um how could he not be yeah and he goes to um he talks about like at one point we go to koreatown um which in the part where his school used to be which is now like a uh korean i don't know if it was a korean church a korean 
school, but the the art school he went to is like you see the neighborhood change. You also see him go to the original Tommy's, okay, uh, which is which is cool for me as a guy who's a big fan of Tommy's Chili Burgers. Uh, so that's really cool. The next document. Oh, you did well, what I was going to say is is you know I apologize if I spoke disparagingly. Uh, it was more just talking about. And, and I don't remember exactly because I tend to like sort of those niche like uh, human interest documentaries. I do tend to yeah, enjoy I think those. Yeah, like this one a lot. Yeah, um, and at the t- and and admittedly, it was framed more as just the guy who just has this who yeah. created this machine and really. <laughs> and I think what I said was, you know, when you've only got so much money, why make a movie about just this eccentric person? But. And he is, and it's the man you just described is also eccentric. Yeah. But, uh, but it also leads to his life leads to larger discussions about art, maybe from a social standpoint, which was which is if you are, and speaking of somebody that uh, somewhat recently read The Fountainhead, uh-huh. uh, there's something you know, reading it as a Christian, reading a something that uh, is inherently. It, in many ways is something I don't agree with at all. You know, the, the main character, he's doing things his way and that's all he ever really asks is just let me do it my way. You can pay me, but you're paying me so that I can do this, that Mm -hmm. you believe in what I'm doing. That's why you're giving me money. So now don't try to change what I'm doing. And so you're supposed to believe in the, in the purity of that. And I would say I, I do, um, letting people do things their way, especially artists. Um, but he also is just like there's no from Ayn Rand's point of view there seems to be no version of free market politeness uh, <laughs> because where it's just like uh, politeness is just, politeness is just all of us just compromising he doesn't say that but that does seem to come through in his behavior <laughs> and from from an artistic standpoint and maybe even more than that like if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and then and then you see something that is less than what you think mm-hmm. and you're just quote unquote being honest. Right. If like, you see something, say something. Exactly. It's <laughs> like, is that okay? And then how much of a free pass do we give people who are sort of pure spirits, pure souls? How often do you hear when, how often have you heard someone say, well, he, so-and-so's earned the right to be a dick because of this. It's like, well, no one's earned the right to be a dick just yeah, because so-and-so yeah. made these movies doesn't mean he, doesn't have to live by yeah. the social contract. But it also and, doesn't mean that the movies aren't good just because he's an asshole. We've exactly. talked about that a lot before. Absolutely. Separating the art from the artist. So, yeah, I, uh, I think that this guy's probably a really... In fact, actually, I, I, I mean, I know I tend to overstate that I don't get art art, but um, a lot of this guy's stuff actually did, um, uh, I don't know, speak to me? Is that too pretentious? Uh, resonate with me, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I did respond to a lot of his his art because um, uh, it, it doesn't feel... As much as he, like... Um, uh, pours over it for you know decades at a time. It doesn't feel precious his mm-hmm. art at all, which I think sometimes uh, uh, art art <laughs> tends to. <laughs> Although uh, you know what, I, I especially joke. art art from now times. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, I say that, but uh, one of my favorites um, is Mark Rothko, who just does big or, or just did big blocks of color mm-hmm. uh which is like the quintessential you know my kid could paint that type right. of thing but that i respond to uh a great deal mm-hmm. i'm a really big fan of mark rothko's stuff so i guess uh i, I what i'm saying is don't listen to everything i say on the podcast i'm kind of over <laughs> overstating the case yeah. a lot of the time so i want to compare lynn Foxwoman band which uh, you should definitely see to um 
another documentary called Our, Our Vinyl Weighs a Ton. Uh, subtitle, This is Stone's Throw Records. Um, and I really had a blast seeing this movie. I really thought it was important. I think if you are someone who is into um, you know, modern popular music and, and th- things like the hip-hop and soul and rock music that has come out on Stone's Throw, you should absolutely see it. It's essential viewing. That said, if you're not a fan of that stuff, there might not be a lot in it for you. There's some you know, mini stories in there that are effective, but uh, it, it does seem to be for its niche audience who maybe goes in already knowing a little bit about Stone's Throw Records. Who, uh, If you don't know, they're a Los Angeles-based um, uh, record label that, um, I guess in the early 2000s, put out records by um, Mad Lib and Jay Dilla, uh, who are probably the two biggest uh, names and, and probably two of the... Uh, as you see from interviews with people like Kanye West, or um, if you, I, I I feel weird sometimes talking about hip hop because I like some of it, but I don't know it that well. Mm-hmm. So my understanding is that people like Madlib and Jay Dilla are um, probably among the most influential um, uh, producers and rappers in modern times, but not necessarily the most uh, well known. Right. Like people like Jay Z and Kanye West, you know, uh, speak very highly of Madlib and Jay Dilla, and. Uh, yeah, Kanye West is in the movie as is um, Questlove from The Roots and from uh, Jimmy Fallon's okay. show, um, and a lot of a lot of people are, are interviewed. Um, and so it's about yeah, it's about Stone's Throw, and it's about the guy um, who runs Stone's Throw, who is um, I think his real name is Chris, but he goes by the name Peanut Butter Wolf, uh, which is what he's gone by since he was like in high school, um, and he doesn't. He is asked what it means at one point, he doesn't say, <laughs> so I don't know where the nickname comes from. Um, Again, if you like this music, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of fun performance footage and interviews with people, uh, you know, saying great, interesting things about the music that you like. If it's not your thing, I can't say that I could recommend it, though. Right. But if it, is, if it again, if you are if you are into uh, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just the documenting of modern popular music. You, then it's essential. I mm-hmm. would say that. Um, and then I already mentioned Harry and Stanton, partly fiction. So you should see that. So we'll wrap up with the last thing I saw, um, which was the uh, aforementioned um, movie in the films that got away subcategory, which is the Sri Lankan film from 2009 called between two worlds, uh, which is uh, right up my alley, which mm-hmm. means it is, some artsy fartsy shit, <laughs> um, but funny. Um, uh, like Winter in the Blood, it has sort of a story, but it's not really the thing. Basically, there's a war going on. I don't know enough about Sri Lanka to know what this is, but there's some sort of war or protesting. Things are turning violent, mm-hmm. and we start in the city where we see looting, we see people being um, beaten, and so we see this guy who will become our main character um, hitches a ride out of the city. And is, I guess, um, trying to get back to his uh, hometown, very small hometown where his sister, I think, or no, not his, I'm trying to think, it's not important, but his hometown. Uh, So I guess that's kind of the story, but then he gets there, like, just a little over halfway through, and then there's more, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's very, uh, just very segmented, and there are vignettes... um, some of which are clearly meant to be taken 
literally that are literally happen, but you don't have a lot of the information about who the men in the jungle with the guns are. Uh, but then there's stuff that is clearly not supposed to be real. You know, there's um, talk about a prince who lives in a hollowed out tree, you know, and at one point someone's telling that story, but at one point, like, it's implied that it's actually real and there actually is a prince inside this hollowed out tree, but that it might not be a real thing that's happening. There's also... He also murders someone, but it's not real. Hmm. Um, and then there's a part where um, he joins a group of young men training to fight back, or at least that's the uh, uh, the implication. But that also might not be a real thing that happens. We see a van fall off the road and into a lake, and then he runs down the lake, and there's no van. Like, it never happened. There's just a guy swimming, and he's like, no... It's almost like literally that corny thing of like a van did fall off a lake here once years ago. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and I feel like I'm not doing the movie justice because it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful to look at. It's the mostly the Sri Lankan countryside, uh, and it is sometimes harrowing. There is a lot of uh, violence in it and a little bit of sex, and uh, uh, it mostly just sort of like wandered. And it's only like 89 minutes long, which is right up my alley. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this movie's like made for me. It's ponderous, weird, artsy fartsy, and short. <laughs> um, uh, and so it's basically just this guy roaming around and uh, getting in adventures. I guess. <laughs> what is that from? Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, that's what it is. It's it's hard to describe, but it, um, uh, like I don't want to go too like lean too much towards talking about how like beautiful and. Um, you know uh, ethereal it, it it can be but i also don't want to go too much into talking about how um just goofy or funny or violent that it can be you know i don't mm-hmm. want to give the impression that it's one or the other it really does walk a nice path of being uh again it's not gonna be a mainstream movie you know mm-hmm. um i guess most of our listeners like parents aren't gonna <laughs> aren't gonna want to see it but uh it is. I'm really glad. I'm really thankful to. This is a good place to end. I'm thankful to the LA Film Fest for not only programming the whole festival, but for finding something that is so recent and yet so unheard of and yet so uh, powerful. Such a, you know, it. I guess the idea of a film fest is to me to see stuff you might not see otherwise. Right. And to know that there are film festivals going on all the time, all over the world, um, it can be sometimes daunting if you're uh, an uh, obsessive type like me, but also very exciting to think about just how many great films there are out there. And so the fact that something as great as Between Two Worlds could have come out in 2009, like we were doing this show, I was was a very active, you know, uh, cinephile in 2009. I didn't know about this film. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fact that I could discover it at the LA Film Fest says a lot about... um, uh, the film fest in general and also about the idea that cinema is going to be okay. I think we've talked about this on the show before. Um, in fact, I, I'm, I'm almost positive, but uh, do you ever find yourself like depressed at the, uh, hang on a sec. What are you looking at? Oh, sorry. Uh, everything's good. Sorry. I was looking at the computer screen and it looked like it had stopped. Uh, do you ever find yourself depressed that you're never going to see all the movies? I used to. Okay. Um, I, I think about that less and less now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I definitely used to. Um, but I thought you, what I thought you were going to ask is, do I ever f- feel depressed about the state of cinema when I look at you know how much of the uh, um, studio output is either you know remakes or sequels or um, you know uh, middle brow awards uh, uh, bait, I yeah. guess. Um, and no, I don't because there's so much great cinema being made outside of the studios that I, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to be too dismissive, but at this point I almost feel like it's, uh, a surprise to me when a big studio release is really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's a whole other, uh, conversation is people talking about the death of film and the death of cinema. And while, you know, when one looks at, uh, you know, summer movie season as we have done uh, every year mm-hmm. uh, and it's just always a sequel or a remake or something like that it does get it can get tiresome but yeah. and it would be but that's the thing yeah there are three other seasons uh, in the year <laughs> that uh, that can produce some pretty good stuff but also I mean and the, there's some and there's summer movies that are good Monsters University solid but also oh is it okay. yeah um but also there's a whole like non-studio thing that isn't following that calendar. Mm-hmm. And if you're willing, I mean, it, I, I know for a lot of people it is a shame, um, you know, that the theatrical experience is suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're willing to watch stuff on demand, you know, or from iTunes or from all these places, there's uh, just lots of really cool stuff that you can see at yeah. any time. Yeah, in many ways it's a, in many ways it's, like the best it's ever been because you've never, I feel like you've never had the kind of exposure to so many different types of film from so many different places like we've had now. Yeah. So we got, we have a lot of choice. Yeah. Which then brings up the idea. It's like, we've got all the choice, but we don't have the time. Yeah. Well, and we're not going to see them all. You're just going to have to get used to that. You know what I'm thinking lately? We're, we're going to wrap up in a second. Um, we talked about uh, recently watching old films versus watching new films. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to make more of an effort to watch older TV. I really have not done uh, enough of that. Yeah. You know? What are you going to start with? Um, I think because it's all on Netflix, uh, all five seasons, I'm going to watch The Dick Van Dyke Show. Oh, all right. That was only five seasons? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to make more of an effort to do that. Yeah, I... Uh... I have not watched a lot of old TV. I've watched uh, some old Dragnet and, of course, Get Smart, but that's... You know, oh, Get Smart is the best. That was old, but it was ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and I've only seen an episode oh, or two man. of The Twilight Zone, but I enjoyed it quite a bit, and I think I would like it. Speaking of Get Smart, what I want to get is... Um, this will get come back to movies a little bit, but there was... So there was, like, a Mel Brooks box set, but then last mm-hmm. year there was one that came out that was, like the incredible Mel Brooks and it collects not only his movies, but a lot of his TV work cause he wrote on get smart right. and, and stuff like that. But, and, but also his appearances like on, and he, you know, he wrote for, I guess like Jack Parr, maybe one of those kind of guys. Yeah. Um, and then appearances he made on other shows. It has a whole like TV section to it as well. I really want to, that sounds good. I really want to, I think that's what I'm putting on my, uh, birth, Christmas my list. birthday list. Yeah. Oh. I guess Christmas. Oh, that's right. Your birthday. I, I usually get birthday presents. I'm going to change that this year, buddy. <laughs> All right. And uh, you know what that's going to put me on? 
the right side of history. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can find us at battleshipretention.com uh, or email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension. Please do. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com. And my other podcast is the weekly television uh, show, Hey, Watch This, with Paul Goebel, uh, the cat's the king of TV to you. Uh, and you can find that, um, on our website and at the king of TV.com or in iTunes or any number of places. Um, this week we will be talking about the series premiere of Ray Donovan on Showtime and mm. the season one finale of inside Amy Schumer on comedy central. So, Oh, also buy our episode with Bill oh, Dwyer. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do that? Indeed. Obviously you should do that. Um, that's only $1.29, and we're doing it in, front, in lieu of a fundraiser this year. So everybody who donates gets something. Yes. And you only have to donate $1.29 to get it. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a win, 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 win. It wins all down the line. Except well, for Bill, who doesn't get paid for his appearance. <laughs> well, after a certain point, I said I would get, we'd give him 